Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastor, conversations with current senior pastors and leaders which will strengthen and help you in your pastoral ministry. And now, here's your host, Bill Holdridge of Poyman Ministries. Welcome to podcast number 74. So glad you could join us. Today we're going to be hearing from Pastor John Miller. He's the senior and the lead pastor of Revival Christian Fellowship in Menifee, California. John's going to be sharing on the subject of expositional Bible teaching and preaching, but specifically presenting the case for expositional Bible teaching and preaching. John began his pastoral ministry way back in 1973. He pastored Calvary Chapel of San Bernardino for 39 years, and then in 2012, he assumed the pastoral leadership role at Revival Christian Fellowship in Menifee. John, you know, as I read those years, it just makes you sound old, but when I, but I see you around and I see you on, uh, you know, the video feeds and whatever, you, you look like you did 25 years ago. How do you do it? That's amazing. Yeah, well, thank the Lord. <laughs> yeah, thank the Lord. Amen. Yeah, so it sounds like a long time. It is a long time, but the Lord's keeping you young. Uh, John is called by God to preach the Word. His teaching ministry can be heard throughout the U.S. through his radio program, Revival Radio. And John, you've traveled the world, I know, preaching the gospel in a lot of places, teaching the Word in China, the Philippines, Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, all throughout Europe. So I just want to thank you for joining us. This is going to be great, and I'm really glad to be able to hear from you on this subject. Well, thanks for having me, Bill. I love the subject, and uh, I've known you many years. Appreciate the invitation, and it's a blessing to be with you. Well, I know you love to serve, so here's a little uh, trivia kind of a question. Um, you know, you went to these places like Fiji and New Zealand and Australia, and maybe even in the Philippines. These are hot surf spots. Did you ever get a chance to take some a little bit of time on the front end or the back end of a trip and, and, and take your board and do a little surfing? Did you ever get to do that? Well, that's funny you ask. Yeah, I, I have many of those trips. I don't don't so much today, busy here at Revival, but in the early years, I, I, did, I made 11 trips in uh, 11 years to uh, Australia and got to surf both on the East Coast and the West Coast. West Australia, amazing. I connected with the Calvaries over there and I would either go a little early or stay a little late or sneak some in between, but uh got to surf in New Zealand, got to uh get some beautiful waves there, and then I drugged my board with Pastor Raul Reese one time on a trip to South America and broke away at the end and went up to Peru and had a real exotic Peruvian surf trip, and uh, that was a blessing. But I uh, didn't get to surf in the Philippines. I understand there's good waves there. That would have been fun. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Well, I'm glad you got to do that. It's, uh, you know, those trips are rigorous sometimes, and it's great to have that kind of a reprieve and a little bit of a sabbatical while you're doing those trips. Well, let's get started uh, in our discussion. We're, and so this is on the subject of the case for expositional Bible teaching and preaching. So here's the obvious question. Uh, what is expository preaching and teaching? What does that mean? Well, Expository preaching and teaching, or expositional preaching and teaching, is simply stated as means that you are preaching the explanation of the text itself. It's a reading, explaining, and applying the text. But in its core, it's pulling out of the text the primary meaning that the original author 
meant to convey in that text. So you're not imposing your ideas on the text. We speak of, when we study the Bible, doing ex- exegesis, which means to pull out, and then eisegesis means to put in. So uh, it means that we're pulling out of the text uh, the meaning, and all texts have basically one meaning. You get to the meaning, and then that's your theme, that's your subject, that's what you preach. So some some have defined it, and I like it, as saying what God says. You're basically saying what God says. So the implications are staggering. I mean, you're you're basically doing what Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy four. You're preaching the word. You're not imposing your your ideas, your concepts. You're actually pulling out the meaning of the text, as opposed to just using a text as a pretext to convey what you want to say or what you want to Im- imply in that. So th- there's a lot of different definitions you can use. I love Haddon Robinson's in his book Biblical Preaching. He says, and I quote, expository preaching is the communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through a historical, grammatical, literary study of a passage in its context. That's important. And then he goes on to add, which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and experience of the preacher, then through him to his hearers. So, I mean, as I said, the definitions are many, but it's basically preaching the word. You're heralding what God has already said. You're, you're, you're exegeting the text. So I'm thinking of Psalm 138 too, which says that the Lord honors his word above his name. So he's zealous and jealous for the preaching and the teaching of the word of God and nothing less and nothing more. Absolutely. Well, you had, you, you made the comment and you quoted actually Dr. Lloyd Jones on this that you are absolutely convinced that the greatest need in the church today is for the expositional preaching and teaching of God's Word. Why do you why do you believe that to be a true statement? Well, many years of pastoring and thinking about it, I, I actually, you know, Jesus said the church is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Well, I mean, the salt brings healing and, you know, health, and the light brings truth. So what, what could be more important for them for to have a healthy church? And how do you have a healthy church? You feed it, it's fed on the Word of God. It's preached the Word of God. I think if you have good preaching and Bible-centered focus in a ministry, the church is going to be biblical and healthy. And if the church is healthy, then it brings health to the world. So, um, and there's nothing, nothing more important than for us to know God and understand God. We're created by God. I mean, we as pastors, believe that but i mean it's it's true and how can we know him but what 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 he's revealed himself in his word uh years ago when i came across the doctrine of revelation it just absolutely blew my mind to think that god cannot be known apart from revelation you know the question in job can you by searching find god so if god has revealed himself in his word which is one of many ways god's revealed himself he's revealed himself in creation and in our conscience and through prophets and dreams and so forth. But God's greatest and completest revelation is his word. Even the living word, the Son of God, which is, came to reveal the Father to us, we we discover him on the pages of Scripture. So, I mean, what could be more important than us knowing the Bible, which brings us into a relationship with a God who created us, that we can know and love? And so... And it kind of all just ties together. So I believe that the greatest need in the world, not just the church, is for the Bible. 
And if God's called us to preach the Bible, what a high and holy calling that is as pastors. Why would we forfeit that or give that up to be, you know, businessmen or CEOs or organizers or philosophers or psychologists or anything else? You know, God's called you to preach. You know, the angels are jealous of you even. I mean, we, have, we, we get to do something even angels don't get to do. Other than during the tribulation, the angels that preach the everlasting gospel, God's commissioned us to do that now. So in so many ways, from so many different angles, I just believe that the greatest need in the world today is for God's word. And God's given us his word as we're stewards. So we need to faithfully proclaim it. Yeah, the um, podcast uh, that we're doing today is aimed at senior pastors and it might seem to some who are listening that this is sort of like preaching to the choir and you know we're saying something that is obvious but you know what I, I, I'm sure that I'm not alone John and I know you're like this too that I love to talk about this stuff I love to hear men that are gifted talk about these things because this is our craft and this is our calling and this is the most important thing that we could be doing in the kingdom of God. So, boy, you know, what a great thing. So I'm going to encourage pastors that are listening right now, don't tune out, tune back in uh, mentally and emotionally because you're going to get some stuff that's going to be really helpful. Absolutely. So um, in the Nuts and Bolts Conference, which you guys did, it, that was at Revival uh, Christian Fellowship, right, that you hosted that? Was it Correct. hosted by yeah. you guys? Yeah. So in the Nuts and Bolts Conference at the start of this year in January before all the COVID-19 stuff, you spoke from Second Timothy 4, the swan song of Paul, so-called, and referred to his strong urging to his younger protege, Timothy, to preach the word. And I listened to that message, and as I listened to that message, I couldn't help but think of Timothy. What would his legacy be? If he followed through with Paul's admonition, of course, historically, we know he did follow through with Paul's admonition and he did preach the word. But for Bible teachers and preachers, what do we want written on our tombstones? That's kind of how I think of it. And what do we want said about our ministries when it's all said and done by heaven itself? What what do we want heaven to say about our ministries? What do you want written on your uh, tombstone, John, about all this? Well, um you know, if you're again, you're called by God to preach His word. We want, we we want to. We're looking for the day we hear, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." You know, and uh, the emphasis is faithful, not not smart, not talented, not you know, uh, you know, super gifted, but just faithful. And and you know, God calls us, and we can all be faithful. And the uh, number one thing that we're called to be faithful to is preaching His word. So. I mean, if, if, if someone were to engrave my tombstone, I would, I would put Second Timothy 4, he preached the word. You know, and that's all I want to be able to do is say that God called me to preach and I did it faithfully and, and, and rightly divided his word and dispensed it to God's household. It's kind of like, uh, dispensing food to your family. You know, you faithfully feed your family a healthy diet to take care of them. So. We're stewards. That that that's a whole exciting subject in itself. Does the concept of stewardship in our preaching? But um, Paul passed it down to Timothy, Timothy to others, you know. And then we we're in a long train of great great godly men that God used to preach the word. So I would I would want my tombstone engraved. And I, I I've made Second Timothy four, uh, especially one through eight. There I've made it my life my life verse. 
you know, that's that that's what guides me, directs me, empowers me. That to stay focused, the priority of preaching. You know, uh, Lloyd Jones called it the premacy of preaching, and there's no substitute for that. It's just to have its priority in our lives and in the church. I'm glad you brought up the word and the concept of stewardship. I've I've thought about Paul's ministry a lot from First Corinthians nine and. He talks about his preaching of the gospel, and he says, If I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a stewardship is committed to me. So Paul thought and said that even, even if he were disobedient and, and didn't want to do it, which of course he did want to do it, he had a stewardship, and so he had to do it. And, mm-hmm. and I thought about that a lot in, in terms of my ministry, that... Uh, here I am, uh, called by God for certain things. And there's a point at which what he gave me and what he gives pastors and, and teachers to do, it, it, it shifts from being just a gift that he's given them to exercise from time to time. It turns and converts itself into a stewardship where this is now something that I'm giving you complete responsibility for. This is yours to develop it, make it work and be fruitful in. I'll be blessing you. I'll do it with you. I'll do it through you, but you got to see it as a stewardship. I don't know if, it, and your use of the word just brought that thought out in my mind. What do you, what do you think about that? I mean, is that kind of how you see it too? Or do you have a different take on that, that concept of stewardship? Well, the concept of stewardship, especially as it pertains to preaching, has been one of the greatest influences in my pastoral ministry in my life. That concept, I, I stumbled on a book years ago by John Stott called Preacher's Portrait, and he's got a chapter in there. Basically, the book is is, is word studies, which are pictures of preacher. And so he portrays the p- preacher as a steward. Well, it was mind-blowing to me. I never really studied deeply about the thought and and the idea that God entrusts us with his word and that we are responsible to dispense it to the household of God, the family of God. And we're not to, we're to, we're to give the people exactly what God entrusted to us, nothing more, nothing less. And that one day I'll be accountable to God for how I stewarded over what he entrusted to me. It's almost like Jesus handed you a Bible and said, now take this Bible, take this book, and share it with my people and preach it. You know, don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't supplement it. Don't pervert it. Don't twist it. And then the, 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 the guiding passage on that was first, it's first Corinthians four, verse one. I'm looking at it right now. It says, let, let, let a man so account of us as ministers. And that's that under rowers concept of Christ and stewards. There's the word of the mysteries of God. So he makes it very clear. We're stewards of the mysteries of God. So I think that a lot of pastors flounder. What am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? You know, what, what, what's what? And they, and they kind of just, they kind of ebb and flow with the culture around them and all the current trends in the church. They're influenced by that rather than, you know, the mainstay of I'm called to preach the word and I'm going to devote myself to it. What Paul actually told Timothy said, give yourself wholly to this, you know, of reading the text, explaining the text, applying the text. The, the phrase there in Timothy actually means be up to your eyeballs, you know, be up to your neck, immerse yourself, be in it, constantly focused. 
that's your priority till I come give attention to make it make it a priority you're preaching in the word so it really is it, it's liberating for a pastor too you're you're dealing with all the staff and the board and the people and you know and you're seeing churches that are growing and you want to be quote as successful in the ministry so you're in danger of for pragmatic reasons to try to grow your church as opposed to just be devoted to feeding the flock and teaching the word and being faithful as a steward. So uh, I, I would encourage any pastor listening to to give real thought to that concept and do a study of it and make that a priority, that God entrusts his word to you and that uh, you, you're a steward of that. So, you know, do your best to sharpen your your skill, your ability, the way you communicate it, your clarity, your knowledge of it. You know, be a man of the word. Keep improving, right? Keep getting better. Exactly. And in that same passage there in 1 Timothy where Paul tells him that your your advance may be so known and seen by others. Mm, yeah. It's a it's a it's a pretty good good thing. So Yeah, it is. Well, in that passage in 2 Timothy, you commented that you believe that the charge to Timothy, preach the word, is uh, actually a charge for Timothy to practice expositional Bible teaching. I think I heard that right. So why do you believe that to be the case? Why do you believe that the preaching of the word charge is, in essence, a, a charge to uh, expositionally teach the Bible and study it exegetically? Well, the charge is a solemn charge. The word charge there means you're under obligation. So there's really no other option. I mean, if you if you want to be a, a, a the pastor that God wants you to be, the Bible tells you to be, I mean, where else do we go but to the Bible to determine what it, what am I as a pastor to be and to do? I mean, it's uh, to me it's that simple. What does the Bible say I'm to be? And the focus on ministry is always character, first, you know, the qualifications that are given in the pastoral epistles focus on character, not ability. And then uh, once I've taken care of that, out of out of my character flows my ministry, and then he tells me to preach the word. Paul told the elders of Ephesus, you know, feed the flock of God. Peter in his epistle told them to feed the flock of God, and the word pastor means to feed. So in that context, though, 2 Timothy 4, where he charges him to preach the word preach is Russo means to herald or proclaim. You know, so you're not debating the word or defending the word. You're just, you're just proclaiming. So the, the, from the steward, now you become a herald. You go from a steward to a herald. These word pictures of the preacher are really awesome. So you're just proclaiming what the herald was given in the message by the king. He didn't create his message. He didn't change the message. He goes, well, the king gave me this message and I think I'm going to fix it for him. I'm going to add a little bit, or I'm going to make it more appealing, or I'm going to spice it up a little bit. No, you say exactly what you were commissioned to say, and you proclaim it. So you're not there to, you know, make the people happy or tell them what they want to hear. You're there to just faithfully stewardship, proclaim. And the proclamation is the herald part, you know. And then he says, the, preach the word. So the word there is a reference to, later on he calls it the scriptures and the truth. He uses different phrases to describe the word. What is the word? Well, it's the word of God. It's the scriptures. It's the whole scriptures. So 
that's why I would make I make a statement like that that our preaching is to be the word, not other views or ideas. And if you're getting to the meaning of the text and its historical, grammatical, theological implications and looking at the grammar, then you're not really preaching the word that I guess it goes back to that concept of that all scripture has only one meaning. It doesn't have multiple meanings, it only has one meaning. A text to passage has only one meaning. It's what is referred to as the authorial intent. What did the author intend to mean by what he said? And you get to that by studying the history and the grammar and the context and you preach that in context. So so when Paul says preach the word in light of all that I see in Scripture, I believe that that's expositional preaching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which basically is making a statement that we should be preaching through, teaching through the books of the Bible as much as we can. Would you agree? I would agree. I, I believe that you can, again, we're, we're dealing with such a vast subject, but I would agree that you can do, you can be expositionally preaching the Bible and doing it topically. But the Bible was written book by book, and when you preach through books of the Bible, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, the text that you're using to, to expound is always kept in context. It's always kept in the context of the book. So they're learning not only topics, they're learning books of the Bible. And that's how the Bible was written. It was written book by book. So each book has its own theme. Each book has its own context. You know, if you're preaching one verse out of Second Timothy, well, it helps to know this is a pastoral epistle and who Paul was and who Timothy was and what the cir- circumstances were, what the background was. So all, all that comes in the context when you're doing expositional preaching and teaching. You you look at the history. You look at the grammar. You look at the structure, the context, and all that is brought into play in communicating the meaning of that text. Mm-hmm. But but it, it certainly helps when you're preaching through books of the Bible, verse by verse. So people are growing in a knowledge of the Bible, which is the only way to grow as a Christian. You know, Jesus said in John 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, mm-hmm. as he prayed in this high priestly prayer there. So what's more important for the God's people than to hear God's truth and God's word and be sanctified by it? Well, Nehemiah 8 is a passage of scripture that expositors love because it illustrates sort of what happens with us as we teach and preach the word. On that day uh, in Nehemiah, as it's recorded, Ezra and some of the men that were with him assisted him in reading from the law of God. And then and then the, the text says that as they read they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. So there is a connection apparently between that and what expositional Bible teaching and preaching is. And what is that connection? How, how would you connect Nehemiah 8 with what, what you do as a pastor? Well, I, I love the Nehemiah 8 uh, verse. It's actually 8.8 8 uh, that you brought that up because that that is expositional preaching. I mean, and so not only does the New Testament in the pastoral epistles and many other places model Jesus, and even modeled by the book of Acts, if you look at the sermons on the book of Acts, they're exposition of the Old Testament scriptures. Um, but the Nehemiah 8 verse is so classic, and it, and it should be compared to 1 Timothy 4.13, where he actually says there, till I come give attendance 
to reading, exhortation, and to doctrine. It goes right along with that Nehemiah text where they read the text, they explained the text, and then they applied it. So I love the Nehemiah passage, and it, 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 it's, a, it's a model example. And it was a revival. They, they, they brought back the book, they opened the book, they read it, you know, explained it, and then applied it. That's really what we're supposed to do. Gave the sense, caused them to understand. So they explained it, gave the sense, caused them to understand. That's exposition. And then uh, they responded. You know, they bowed down and worshiped the Lord. So there's a people's response. Read the book, gave the sense, caused them to understand, actually. Exposed to the scriptures, exposed to God's heart. Well, you've been listening to Strength for Today's Pastor, and I'm your host, Bill Holdridge. We're in the middle of a great conversation on the subject of the case for expository teaching and preaching with Pastor John Miller of Revival Christian Fellowship. Right now, it's time for us to take a quick 20-second break, and we'll be right back. You've been listening to Strength for Today's Pastor. Appointment Ministries appreciates your participation and prayers. If you'd like to help financially support this podcast, you can go to our website at appointmentministries.com forward slash donate. Thank you. So what we're saying about the Nehemiah passage and how that connects and illustrates expositional Bible teaching is intriguing to me. I think about the days of Josiah when the book of the law was completely foreign to the people of Israel, and it wasn't until uh, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law in the rubble of the temple Mm -hmm. that he brought it to Josiah, and Josiah, when he read the book, tore his clothes and issued a fast, and, you know, the poor people, it breaks my heart. I mean, for all those years, they were without any real direct contact with Scripture, but when they had it, some, some good things took place. That's the that's the counter. That's the opposite of the Nehemiah eight situation. Yes, the famine of God's word. You know, with you know the scripture that without uh, without a vision, my people perish. Mm-hmm. That's really a statement about their need for the word of God. Mm-hmm. That's that that they need a word from God. They need the word of God. Mm-hmm. So, and the same thing as we're we're in, we're in a time in our history in our nation and in in the church where there's a famine for God's word. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, even all these years of uh, Calvary Chapel ministry where Pastor Chuck so faithfully taught the word, it seems some guys have almost forgotten that, that they've drifted from that. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that, that it's what people need. They need, they need the word. They need the word. Henrietta Mears, Henrietta Mears used to say, if we want a re- revival, you need a re-Bible. Mm. Bring back the book. Bring back the book, bring, yeah. Bring back the book. Well, you quoted Haddon Robinson, and uh, when you asked the question, do you as a preacher endeavor to bend your thought to the Scriptures, or do you use the Scriptures to support your thoughts? And we could spend a lot of time on that, but in effect, if a, if a preacher uses the Scripture to support his thoughts... He's actually introducing a famine for the Word in his own pulpit. Correct. And that's a good question to ask yourself. Do I bend the text to fit my thoughts, or do I submit to the the Word itself? So, you know, that's why I described expository preaching as pulling out of the text its meaning rather than imposing it or putting into it your own meaning. Mm-hmm. So sometimes preachers will find a phrase or a word in a verse 
and go, oh, I, I have an idea, I want to preach on that verse, and then they preach their idea. But it's not what the text is about. It's not what the text is saying. So what they say may be biblical, but it's not what that text that they're using is actually saying. So the text just became a pretext. So that's what I mean when I talk about the text being master. It dictates the topic. It, di- it dictates the topic, the theme, and all that that you're involved with. So, as opposed to imposing your own ideas into the text, you know, which a lot of people will bend the bend the text to meet their own ideas rather than submitting. So, again, my mind goes a thousand different directions. Every 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 topic we're touching on, I'm thinking the you know the whole issue of pastors uh, modeling for their people how they handled the Bible. If you don't preach expositionally, what are you telling your congregation? That the Bible's not that important, it's not the authority, I'm a little smarter than the Bible, so let me tweak it a little bit and twist a little bit, let me manipulate a little bit, massage it a little bit, rather than humbly bowing before its authority and saying, I'm just, I'm just passing on God's word, I'm dispensing it. You know, I, I'll, I'll even hear preachers say, well, the Lord gave me a word, or the Lord gave me the thought, or... Lord gave this to me, and, and I understand that, and there's, there may be a time for that, but, you know, God's given us his word, uh, so that's what we're delivered to the people, not what I feel, not what I think, not what he revealed to me. You know, if it's insight into the meaning of a text, that's great, but, you know, you don't you don't descend from heaven to dispense your your word to God. It's you, You've already been given to it. That's why I like the Jude passage too. Earnestly contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. You know, and uh, Harry Ironside used to say, "If it's true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not true." So if you're preaching the word, you're going to be saying what all these great bi- biblical preachers have said for two thousand years or before you all in the history of the church. You're not saying anything new because it's true. It's not new. And you might come at it at a different angle, but you're not saying anything new. You don't get new revelation. It's once and for all delivered to us. And all that stuff just really kind of gets me gets me excited, gets me pumped up. I remember in Monterey in the early days, I was just getting started and I was a little bit frustrated because I wanted the church to grow and I was operating in the flesh, trying to get it to happen, I think, a little bit. And I got frustrated with the people, which is death for a pastor. And so I thought, well, First Peter, that's a book that deals with the subject of suffering. These people need to get tougher. So I decided to teach through First Peter. And then I was into it for a couple of weeks and I realized what I had done. I was, I was taking a book of the Bible, which was meant to encourage believers that were suffering with many different truths relating to the sufferings of Christ. And I was turning it around, flipping it on its ear. And trying to get it to be a book that taught the people how important it was to suffer and to make them t- tough. And man, mm. I tell you, when I realized what I'd done, it just, it ripped me up, John. I couldn't believe that I had done that. And I thought, I, I, this Bible is God's word. I can't mess with it. And I was messing with it. And I apologized to the people, broke down in front of them, weeping <laughs> in the early days. Man, it's so dangerous, but that's what we're talking about here is getting the Bible to say what we think rather than the other way around. It's dangerous stuff. Very, very dangerous. And once you start to play, I, I use the term fast and loose with the Bible, and you, you can impose your ideas on it, then you have just opened a Pandora's box and you started down a very dangerous road, you know, because the authority lies in the Scripture, not you. But, I mean, 
you're not really giving, you're giving them yourself, not the Bible. The more the preacher can get out of the way and be eclipsed by the scripture, the better. You know, I mean, you're, you want to, you want to be, you want the scripture to speak. When I love the statement Stott makes that God speaks through what he's spoken, you know, and, and, and it's the living word. So, I mean, I, I tell preachers, get out of the way and let God speak through his word. The, the closer you stay to your text, the more true you are to the meaning of, its, of the text then in its, in its historical, grammatical, theological context, the more God is speaking, the more God speaks. And the Holy Spirit uses his word to speak. So get out of the way and let him speak. And that's where the authority lies, too. You know, when people come up to question what you've just preached, if you faithfully preach the word expositionally, you don't have anything to be afraid of. You don't have anything to fear. You know, they, they challenge you. It's, you you're, you're just, you're just as, again, the steward thing. You're just passing on what God gave to you. But if you're fast and loose with the text, then that, that is dangerous because now it's like, oh, was that you or was that God? Is that what the word says or is that what you say? So you need to make sure that you're faithfully expounding his word or else you're out on a limb. Yeah, and the failure to do that, obviously, as you've said, is a problem. So as you were talking in the Nuts and Bolts uh, conference, and I'm referring back to that again because I'm hoping that guys will go to your website and watch those sessions or download the audio because they're so great. But in the Nuts and Bolts conference, you in your talk, you you gave uh, Paul's reasons for preaching the Word of God expositionally with all long-suffering and teaching. And and so there's a, a list of things that are in the text that you uh, commented on. Maybe you could go through those reasons for preaching expositionally, the situations that existed and would exist in the future among people, and these are the reasons why Paul told Timothy to preach the Word and do it uh, with all long-suffering and doctrine. Yeah, it's like right in the text, you know, if you if you were preaching that on Sunday morning, that text, first, first Timothy chapter 4, I mean, you'd come to that passage and you'd want to develop the charge to preach, you know, and who's to preach and what to preach and why we preach. But he does give Paul, he uh, gives Timothy, excuse me, three reasons to preach the word. And, uh, verse three of first Timothy four, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's reason number one. So they won't put up with or tolerate sound doctrine. So in, in my mind, this is why I like the, the Timothy passage. It motivates me. The more I see the church leave doctrine and, you know, whatever direction they go, entertainment, you know, or social action or whatever it might be, the more I see the church drift away from sound doctrine, the more it motivates me to preach doctrine, to preach doctrinal sermons. And I, I think that's a, a big void right now, too, is there's a lot of uh, preaching the historical narrative. And uh, p- uh, preachers that don't do expositional preaching tend to, they like to preach Old Testament character studies and narrative and gospels, and which is all fine. That's all the Word of God. But they, they, you don't find them very often doing in-depth teaching through Romans or Galatians or Ephesians or Colossians. There's a, there's a dearth for that. So not only is there a, a lack of preaching the Word, there's a lack of preaching doctrinal epistles. And then in verse 3 as well, he says, they'll turn to their own desires, their own lust, and heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So that's the second reason I gave there, that they, they won't put up with sound doctrine, and they go looking for teachers to tote their fancy, to tickle their ears. 
and the and the and the ones with the itching ears are the ones that are the listeners. So they find preachers that tell them what they want to hear. They have an itch for novelty. Uh, to quote Harry Ironside again, he said they want preachers who will tickle their fancy, not trouble their conscience. So, and then I gave uh, the third reason is in verse four, when they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be given unto fables. So the best way to protect the church from false teaching is the true teaching of God's word. The best way to combat error is to proclaim truth. And then the idea is that when you're preaching expositionally, you have God's authority to back you up. You're preaching the authoritative word of God. And you're also, you're working, you're preaching is in harmony or in concert with the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit of God uses to transform God's people into His image. And then, you know, you're, you're glorifying God because the whole emphasis is it's His Word. And you're, and you're modeling for the congregation. This is how we read, interpret, and apply the Bible. I think the preaching that we do in the pulpit models for the, for the pew how the Bible should be approached, read, studied, interpreted, and applied. There is a mega church that I I know of that did a self analysis on the effectiveness of their programs, mm-hmm. and when it was all said and done, they they came to the conclusion that they were not being effective in their programs in producing mature believers. And then the reason they gave, when they looked a little deeper, was that they had not taught their people how to be self feeders. Mm-hmm. But then I looked at their pulpit, and what their pulpit represented was a lot of topical sermons, a lot of eisegesis, a lot of current trendy thoughts, and that type of thing. And they never did expose or exposit the scripture to the people. So that's the reason, I think, why that particular congregation was not able to teach their people how to be self-feeders. They weren't modeling it. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul in Ephesians 4 said, God's given pastor-teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So how do you perfect the saints without a pastor-teacher, pastor-faithfully teaching? You know, and that teaching is the, is, is the Word of God, the doctrine. So I can't tell you, all we talked about the years I've had in the ministry, now it's, you know, approaching 47 years. And you, you've been in the ministry as well, probably about that length of time. But um, I, I, the, in, the, the impact your life just as a pastor has on the people by your devotion to, fidelity to, commitment to, and uh, preaching the Word is, there's no way to, to even determine that. It's so powerful. People catch your love for God's Word. It's contagious. When I left the church in San Bernardino, I've been there 39 years, I had third-generation kids coming up to me with tears in their eyes mm. and say, my parents, my parents were saved under your ministry. Or my, my grandparents were, my parents, and then I grew up in this church. Thank you for your, your life and your love. And, and I, the thing that touched me the most was they said, you, you instilled in me a love for God's Word, a commitment to God's Word. And, and they said, my life has been changed. But, you know, three or four generations down, just a love for God, love for His Word, commitment to His Word. And um, it's like, wow, thank you, Lord. That's mm. an awesome thing. Mm, that is awesome. Well, let's wrap up this podcast, John. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes uh, to just encourage and exhort further today's pastor on this subject. You've, we've made the case for expositional Bible teaching and preaching, so go for it. Share whatever the Spirit has placed upon your heart to speak directly to the senior pastor. Well, there's thank you, Bill. There's so much that can be said, but, I mean, basically just... Uh, 
realize God's called you to preach. That's the priority of ministry. And that you make that the priority. Don't let other things distract you. You know, when the apostles were told that the widows were neglected, Acts, I think, 6, the distribution of the food, they say, well, you know, choose seven men to do that. And we'll, we'll give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what a, what a great, what great priorities for a pastor? Prayer and the word. Don't, don't let other demands pull you away from the priority of spending time with God in prayer and praying over your Bible, the Word of God, and and making that priority. I think if a pastor realizes this is my calling, is to preach the Word, that you'll devote yourself to it, as Paul told Timothy. And the foundation for preaching is a conviction that, that there is a God who's revealed Himself, and He's revealed Himself in His Word. So it's a conviction about God, and it's a conviction about Scripture, the scripture is God speaking and a conviction about the church. The church needs the Bible and the Bible needs the church. I, I think that's something we forget. The church needs the Bible and the Bible needs the church. We are to be proclaimers of the word and we need the word. So we're, we're interdependent. And then the conviction about the pastorate. The pastorate is called to be a preacher of the word. You know, the very word pastor means shepherd and the, and the word shepherd means to feed. And uh, the word word is what we feed them, and then the conviction about preaching. You know the passage that we talked about so much today in Second uh, Timothy, chapter four. I think I was calling it First Timothy a minute ago, but it's Second Timothy four. Um, that, that we're we're charged to solemn mandate to preach not our ideas, not our views, but to preach the word. And to do it instant, in season, out of season, and reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And then he ends with saying doctrine. You know, it's got to have didactic or doctrinal content. That's the teaching. That's the instructional part. And expositional preaching isn't just a you know a little sermonette for Christianettes or a little homily. It's it's meaty doctrine. So that's what I would encourage pastors. You know, know your calling is to preach faithfully God's word, and that you long to hear that day when He says, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." Well, I want to point people, John, to some resources. And so um, if they go to the website, revival.tv slash store, they can find a lot of resources there. And then also these conf- this conference, the Nuts and Bolts conference, is found on the revival.tv website, too. Can you tell folks how to find that? Yeah, you just go to our website, revival.tv, and... Uh uh, click on at the at the top bar there. I think it's uh, sermons, mm-hmm. and then uh, the categories will come up. You want to go to conferences, and then you go to conferences, and it'll be right there. Nuts and bolts of of, of of expository preaching. We actually have done the conference about three or four times. Oh, good. So when we have all of them archived there on that website, all the way back from the first one was done in San Bernardino. Second one done uh, was Skip Heitzig in Albuquerque. Then we did a third one and here at Revival, and then a fourth one here. We did, we've done the last two here at Revival. But they're all there for you. You can download all that. Yeah, for anybody who wants to sharpen their tool belt and, uh, and get further equipped in this area, that'd be a great place to go. Well, I want to thank you, John, for joining us on Strength for Today's Pastor and for this conversation. This has been great. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, it's been a real blessing to speak with John Miller on this all-important subject of the case for expositional Bible teaching and preaching. 
But before we sign off, I want to encourage you to visit our website at poymanministries.com and there you will find a bunch of podcasts that are recorded with you, the senior pastor, in mind. And you'll also learn other ways that our team can help and encourage you and strengthen you in your ministry. We'd love to have feedback on today's podcast episode, so just send us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com, and I'll be sure to get those comments to Pastor John. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. So from the staff, pastors, and board of directors here at Poyman Ministries, we wish God's very best upon you and your ministry. So long until next week. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Poyman Ministries. You can find us at poymanministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question or comment, or if you have a topic idea for a future episode, just shoot us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. May the Lord bless you as you serve Him, His pastors, and His church.